I want to pray again before we study God's word, and then we're going to talk about something to sing about. Father, I thank you for your truth that is expressed in this text, and I ask that you would open our eyes to see the, the beauty of it. God, there is hope here for every single believer, and there is compelling evidence for every unbeliever to give their life to Christ. And so I just ask that Christ would be made great, that we be seen as great as we look at these incontrovertible facts for every single believer that is true that cannot be touched. Glorify yourself, God, this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Something to sing about is the title of today's message as we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And I want you to think about what it is that makes you sing. What it is that brings a smile to your face that makes you joyful? What are you grateful for? For many of us, we would say our family. Family is one of the big things that we love and are thankful for. Maybe you'd say our home. You love your home. One CEO of a $5 billion company said that thankfulness is like a muscle. And it's possible that some of you have come in here with some pretty weak muscles. And I would say that thankfulness must be the leg muscle because every single body lifter that I know hates leg day. <laughs> and so it, we, we skip leg day so often. And for Christians even, it's easy to not be thankful. And, and as I thought about this, that thankfulness is a muscle, I'm like, it must be one of the muscles around my pelvis. It is weak in my life, more so than I care to admit. But as we look today Paul talks about the reality of a Christian. And this week and next week, we're going to look at the reality of a Christian. And he gives us five unshakable realities that should cause every Christian to sing. Five unshakable realities that should cause Christians to sing. And I want you to know that I struggle so often with just celebrating what we have here in this text. So often I'm asking the question, so what, so what, so what? What do I need to do? How do I need to, how do I need to apply this text? And it was even funny because as I was continuing to work on the message, I already sent the notes off. And if you look at the back of your, well, I guess you're probably on the back of your bulletin. If you look down there at application questions, still one of the things that it's, it's constantly thinking about is how will we practice gratefulness this week? But as we look at this, this has nothing to do with our action and what we have are realities for every Christian that can't be changed. They're unshakable. And so I would also say, if you're not sure that you know Christ today, these are also five incredible realities that should draw you to Christ. Reality number one, I am chosen by God. That is a reality for every single believer. You are chosen by God. If you look in this text, Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. So he was chosen for a special purpose. Timothy, our brother, special purpose. But it's to the saints. To the saints and the faithful brothers. One commentator tried to divide those. He like, he's trying to divide it into to the saints, the ones who are faithful. I'm like, ah, the entire book of Colossians is that there's no class of Christians. So when he said, we're talking about the faithful ones, I'm like, no, mm -mm, you can get out of here with that. Because Paul says to the Corinthians, you're saints. And the word saints mean to be set apart. Set apart by 
God. You are chosen by God. You say, well, I don't, I don't feel chosen. I feel unworthy of being chosen. Go with me and imagine with me in the future. We're in heaven, so 150 years, 200 years. I don't think we'll be living that long by that time, but 200 years, we're in heaven. And you're, and you're walking around heaven, and all of a sudden, you meet this guy. You're like, hi, I'm, I'll say my name. Hi, I'm Aaron. And he shakes your hand and he says, I'm Gideon. He's like, whoa, <laughs> Gideon. He's like, yeah, let me tell you. You think your life was interesting. Let me tell you about the time when I had 10,000 soldiers to attack this huge army, and God said, you got too many. And he whittled it down to 300 soldiers, and I was like, God, this is crazy. God's like, well, I've chosen you, and I'll take care of you. That's awesome. And then, you, and then you walk on, and you see another guy, tall guy, strong, burly guy, and you shake his hand. Hi, I'm Aaron. He goes, hi, I'm King Saul. So, well, sometimes I felt unworthy to pastor the church at St. Anne's or Baptist Church. And he says, guess what? One time I got, I got elected to be king, and I hid. <laughs> I was so scared of being the king that I had to hide. I, I felt unworthy. And you know what? I so focused on my unworthiness that it ruined my kingship. And then, you, and then you go on and you get to talk to David who tells you about slain Goliath. You get to talk to Moses who, who said, I thought I was great. And so I killed an Egyptian and God said, you're not ready. Go into the wilderness for 40 years. You know, if you don't feel worthy to be chosen by God, I think you're going to have a lot of good company in heaven. Think about Abraham. Moses, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what is true for every single believer is that they're chosen by God. Let me show you that from the scripture. You don't just take my word for it. Go over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's the cool thing. Your being chosen by God is not something that you got to work for. God didn't look down into the future and say, well, this person's going to be pretty nice. This person's a good leader. This person's a great husband. This person's a great wife or mom or or." or employee so i'm going to choose them no 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 first corinthians chapter one this is page 952 in your bible following a chair bible it says in verse 26 consider your calling brothers this is first corinthians 1 26 page 952 in your church bibles consider your calling brothers not many not many of you are wise according to worldly standards some of you were not many were powerful some of you were not many of you were of noble birth. You are born into a great family, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 with me. This is the doctrine of election, if you would. And actually, Sam, if you want to turn on the fans. I forgot to turn those on. Ephesians chapter 1. This is page 976 if you're following along in your Bible. It says in verse 4, Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then jump over to James chapter 2. This is the last evidence for us today, that God has chosen us not based on who we are. This is page 1011. If you're following along in a chair Bible there, 1011. 
James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 5. Talking about not being partial in the sin of partiality. God says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith, heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? God's choosing is not based on us. So if you are a, a child of God, if you have been born again, you are chosen, no matter what someone tells you. Number two, this is an awesome reality that cannot be shaken. My faith is secure. It is secure. If you go back to our text, your faith is secure. In Colossians chapter 1, it says in verse 4, we always heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, there are two aspects of faith. There's the practice of faith and the person of faith. The practice of faith is when I sit down in this chair. I am practicing faith. The person of faith is the chair, right? So there's two different aspects of it. In this context, it's talking about the person. Your faith is secure. You could It's, it's clunky, but you could say your, per, your, your faith is secure in the sphere of Jesus Christ, in the circle of Jesus Christ. Now, I have something to illustrate this for you. This is a golf ball. Golf is a great sport, especially for those of us who get broken really easily because nobody usually hits at us. <laughs> it's not usually a contact sport, usually. I've seen a few contacts. One, uh, one humorous poet said, we learn so many things from golf. How to suffer, for instance. <laughs> Craig Stadler won the 1982 Masters Cup and uh, he came up to a green at one time, and someone said, that looks like a new putter. Why are you using that? And he said, well, the old one didn't float too well. <laughs> but a golf ball is an incredible thing, and actually a lot of scientific development goes behind a golf ball. But what I want you to know is if you were to cut this golf ball in half, it does not look white on the inside. If you cut it in half, there is a soft cushion on the inside, and when, and when the club hits the golf ball, the ball actually bends into a D. You can watch it in slow motion. The ball will become flat on this side, whichever side the golf ball is hit by. And that, that golf ball can be hit over and over and over and over and over again. And you know what? The inside is still secure. And your Christian faith is secure in the sphere of Christ. And it can be hit poverty, still secure in Christ. It can be hit by death of a loved one, still secure in Christ. You can be hit by depression. You can be hit by anger. By, you can be hit by all these outward forces, the world hating you, persecution, all these different things, but your faith is secure because your faith is in Christ. It is in the sphere of Christ. And the, in, the inside of the golf ball doesn't ever have to worry about falling apart because the outside of the golf ball is protecting it. So this isn't talking about your walk. This is talking about who are you trusting in. And when you put your trust in Christ, your faith is secure. It's never going away. That's why we can sing, I have a new name written down in glory. I'm going to receive it. I, don't ha I, I have it now, though, because it's in the sphere of Christ. That's an incredible reality. True for every single believer you meet. Even ones who don't think that it's secure. Right? Because if you're in Christ, even if you don't feel secure, it's secure in Christ. 
third incredible reality from this text that Paul says to these guys is he says, I am loved by others. This is a truth for every single believer. I am loved by others. Notice this. He says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, verse 4, and of the love that you have for, what's the next word? All the saints. The love that you have for all of the saints. And you may feel unloved. This comes from Jesus, though, to remind us that you are loved. You might write this down. This is helpful for me. Some saints love all saints. All saints love some saints. Say it again. Some saints love all saints. All saints love some saints. That has to be true because it says, love is of God. Whoever does not love does not know God. If you know Christ, if you are a born-again follower of Christ, you love at least some believers. If you love no believers, you can reasonably question your salvation. If you have no love for the brethren. But there are some crazy people who love all the saints. <laughs> and I say crazy in a very good way. This is, this is a good thing to be. Where you'll meet them and you'll find out that you're in Christ. You're mutual brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're boom, a bond, a love immediately because you're uh, in the family of God. I heard one story. love this story. Um, because it's to my, to my favorite people. John Wesley and... Uh, Wow, he's so favored that I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> he is an old, old preacher. George Whitfield. You know where I'm going with this story. Very famous story. Thank you. George Whitfield and John Wesley. And Wesley would have been Arminian. George Whitfield would have been very Calvinist. And these groups usually do not share much in common. And so Wesley would get up and preach the gospel, and someone would say, have you heard of George Whitfield? He preaches it this way. And, and then Whitfield would get up and preach the gospel, and George Wesley comes, and, and, and people would talk to, to him about what George Wes, Wesley was saying. And, and one day, uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley, they met. And they came in, and I can't remember if it was Whitfield or Wesley, but they shook each, other hand, each other's hand and said, everyone tells us we are to be divided. So I have a few questions for you. One, do you believe in the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is overall creator of the world and the sovereign one who gave us eternal life? And John Wesley says, yes, I do. And then George Whitefield says, do you believe in the afterlife that all true followers of Christ, all true um, believers in Christ will spend eternity with him? And he said, yes, I do. And then George Whitefield said, then we are brothers and I consider you a friend. <laughs> Very simple, right? There, there, there are differences, absolutely. But man, it is, it is so encouraging to me when I see um, believers who love all believers and not just some believers. Sadly, Baptists are not known as the best in that category. And so I have a joke for you. St. <laughs> Peter was standing at the gates of heaven and a man arrived and Peter said, Religion? The man said, Methodist. And Peter said, go to room 24, but be quiet as he passed room 8. guy's like, all right, whatever, he moves on. Another guy comes up, and St. Peter says, what religion? He goes, well, I'm Lutheran. And Peter says, okay, go to room 18, but be quiet as he passed room 8. Next guy comes up, and he goes, well, what religion? He goes, I'm a Presbyterian. And he says, okay, go, go, to, go to room, let's see what I have. Go to room 11. Did I say that last time? Or 18 was last time. But be quiet as you pass room 8. 
The guy goes, why? Because Presbyterians, they're always, they got to know. <laughs> and St. Peter said, well, roommate is where the Baptists are, and they think they're the only ones here. I'm happily a Baptist, but praise the Lord that we have people that are born-again believers that we're going to spend eternity with that we don't see eye-to-eye on right now. I even read some very famous godly men who said, uh, one of the things that I have discovered in years of ministry is not only that God loves people who disagree with me, but he uses them. And we have people around the globe believing different things from us. But at the end of the day, they say, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And we're going to spend eternity with him. Charles Stanley, though, did say, and this caused me to chuckle, someone called him and said, I'm in the church, I believe the gospel, but my church doesn't preach it. And Charles Stanley said, you know, one of the main problems in our world is we have a bunch of good Christians in bad churches. So there is, there is a reality of that aspect. But I am loved by others. And I want to tell you, one of the things that was really convicting to me this week as I thought about this is he says, your love for all the saints. He doesn't have in here your love for all the sinners. And sometimes I am more loving towards sinners than I am towards saints. And it was really humbling for me this week. Um, one author I was reading, he said... Oftentimes, when we're talking to an unbeliever, we will smile as they blow smoke into our face. But let it be a believer who lights up a cigarette and we immediately judge. I was like, because you know, I desire and love to be around unbelievers. I desire to see them know Christ. I put up with a ton, <laughs> a ton stories that I can't share. Why? Because I, I love them and I want them to know Christ. And I was really convicted that I've been harsh towards some of you even here who are my brothers and sisters in Christ and impatient. And so, boy, this really hit me is I am called to love all the saints and praise the Lord when you have, I mean, Epaphras clearly did, praise the Lord when you have a pastor who loves you even with your faults as a believer. Do I want to see you grow? Absolutely. Do I want to condone sin? No. But do I understand that sanctification takes time? Absolutely. May God help us to love all the saints. Number four, I have received the gospel. I have received the gospel. This, from a, from a Greek standpoint, everything circles around and revolves around and points back to verses five and six that says their faith, their love, is because of the hope that is laid aside for you in heaven. What is this hope? Of this, of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The hope laid aside for the believers is the gospel. And this idea of laid aside is uh, back in that time, and still a little bit today, a good employer, when he had a good employee, would lay aside money for that employee. 
So whenever that employee was no longer able to work, there would be a pile of money. And even today with our 401k matches, there's an aspect where when you are working a job and the, the employer lays aside a 401k match, that's the idea of hope here. It's laid aside, it's set aside, and it's for you. The only thing is that, thankfully, our hope doesn't go with the stock market. Amen? <laughs> but I want to share with you five characteristics of the gospel. Some of these are from Wearsby directly, but others were from me. First of all, five characteristics of the gospel is that it centers on a person, Jesus Christ. It centers on a person who is Jesus Christ. You notice in verse 6, it has come to you, it is indeed in the whole world, bearing fruit and increasing as it does so among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. But this is peace that is in Christ. Our faith is in Christ and it centers on Jesus Christ. And the, the Colossians, Paul felt for the Colossians. He didn't know them personally, but he felt for them because someone's trying to shift their faith in Christ. And if you notice, jump down, that it says in verse, um, verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, the faith in Christ, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a minister. This hope is in Christ. And he says, you cannot shift from this. And the false teachers said, okay, Christ is absolutely essential, but there's a little bit more. There's, there's your life too. There's how you act, how you behave, the experiences you have with God. That is also critical. And Paul says, no, it's on Christ alone. In our, in our lifeguard training, we were told an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so whenever the lifeguard yells at you or blows their whistle and says, don't run, or we were just at Wisconsin Dells a few weeks ago now, and, and uh, there was a wave pool there. And whenever a kid would get near to the edge, the lifeguard would whistle, and we're like, come on, dude, leave him alone. But why is he whistling? Because if that wave hits a kid right, it will lift him up and slam him into the wall. Which is easier to take care of? A kid with a concussion bleeding into a pool or a kid who gets a little mad that you whistle at him. <laughs> that, that one's easier. And so it's an ounce of prevention. Here Paul says you've got to be prevented from false beliefs by knowing what the truth is. Jesus is God. He took on humanity. He lived a sinless life. And he died a substitutionary death. He rose and now he intercedes for the believer. That is the firm basis of our hope as a Christian. Period. There's not any added to that. We trust in Christ. Second thing about the gospel is it is the word of truth. It is the word of truth. I love an old Lecrae song who said, if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, what happens when my truth says your truth is a lie? Is it still true? <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. Yes, it's a rap song, so that's why it makes sense. <laughs> Ryan's like that. He says, if your truth is your truth, which we hear, and my truth is my truth. What happens when my truth says your truth is a lie? And do you know what? Those who say, and we talked about the coexist movement last week. Those who say, hey, we're all just the same. We're all going to the same place. We're just going on different paths. It cannot be true. Either Christianity has to be false or truth. We don't have an in-between because Christianity and Christ claims to be the only way. Other religions may not claim to be the only way, but you can't have Something be true that claims to be the only truth. It's either a lie or it's true. We know from John 17, 17, sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
We all must trust in Christ. And so, here's the third thing. It is the message of grace. It is the message of grace. Paul says, grace to you in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. He says in verse 6, it's come to you. The gospel has come to you. It's in the whole world bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. If you want a definition for grace, grace is simply unearned favor. Favor that is not earned. You didn't do anything for it. Uh, just the other day, um, Elise was at home, and I said, okay, Elise, if you pick up your room, you get to stay up past your bedtime and watch whatever movie you want. Boom! I cannot believe how fast she obeyed. And I said, the reward for you doing that is to watch a movie. And then I thought, no, 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 no. That's not a reward. That's a wage. And so we began to talk about wages that day. And I said, what you did, she cleaned up her room. I said, what you just did was you earned this movie. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that we earn salvation. The gospel is that we are, we are given it despite what we are and who we are. Grace is an incredible thing. It comes from Jesus Christ. It says in John chapter 1, Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. Paul even says, he's, in, he's, at, at, he's, a, he's talking with the Jewish leaders. He's now gone to the Gentiles. And for those of you who don't know, Jews didn't used to believe that Gentiles could be saved because there was Jews and it was, that was God's chosen people. And so to become one of God's chosen people, you had to follow all the Jewish customs. Christ came, he says, no, 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 I'm tearing the, I'm tearing the dividing wall. And so Paul is defending that Jews can be saved by grace. And he says it in Acts 15, 11. And he says, we believe that Jews and Gentiles are saved by grace. And so it's a message for all people. Grace is from God. Grace is greater than our sin. It says in Romans chapter 5, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. Grace overabounded. I read someone the other day who said, if you're never accused of preaching cheap grace, you're probably not pre preaching the true grace of God. Because it says where sin abounded, grace superabounded. It overabounded. It was even greater than that. Grace is what saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Turn there with me. You're right next, next to it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. If a person is to be saved, it's not because they prayed a prayer, walked an aisle, um, filled out a card, gave a certain amount to a church. And this is why it's so fun because you can lead. And I think, I think more and more people are saved now in homes than they are in church. Because you can just share this verse with them. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. This is verse 8 and 9. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared those beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're saved by grace. And then it transforms us. Now, turn over to Titus chapter 2 because the question that automatically comes up is, well, if, and this, I'm, you might disagree with me on this, if grace superabounds where sin is, does that mean that the more a person sins, the more of God's grace, the more God's grace is magnified? My answer to that is Yes. Because it says where sin abounded, grace superabounded. 
So then people say, well, does that mean I can believe in Jesus Christ and live however I want? Technically, yes. But if you're born again, I don't believe that you will live a life of sin. And here's why. Because if you have received grace, watch what grace does in Titus chapter 2. And I realize I'm treading on thin ice here. But re- watch what Titus, do, what Titus says. It says in verse 11, this is page 998, it says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That we agree with. We're saved by grace alone. But watch this, verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. What is the main... Now, I'm going into English here. What is the main noun? What is it that trains us to renounce ungodliness, according to this text? Grace does. When we understand grace is when we do the best at renouncing ungodliness. But if we get to the point where we are zealous for good works in order to receive grace, then we have it backwards. And I want to tell you what. We have to watch out for this because what was happening in the Colossians is people were mixing. They were saying you got to add Jewish legalism. you got to add mysticism where you're having these awesome experiences. I have a, something that might help us understand this a little bit more. This is water. Or at least it was. If it comes out red, you get that reference? Okay. I have, I have three cups here. I don't know if I can do them all in front of you. Oh, you'll have to just look. Try not to knock over my own. Uh, I got this this morning. This is a nice cup of dirt. Okay? This is the unadulterated grace of Jesus Christ. Every single drop of dirt in here is do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Watch what happens when I add water. Okay? Mmm. Let me mix this in there nice and good. We're just going to mix grace and works together. I think we should do that. Jesus Christ is good, but let's add, let's add a little bit of I have to do my devotions every day. Let's add I, I have to go to church every single week. Let's add I have to pray every single day. Let's add, hmm, what else can we add? Uh, if you don't ever tell people about the gospel, then you're the one that sends them to hell. Let's add, you name it. What is it that is legalistic tendency? A law that has brought conviction. Okay, now we have added it and we have mixed it in. Who's thirsty? No thank you you is right. What has happened is we have muddied the gospel. Now try taking this and going to an unbeliever and saying, what a wonderful thing I have. You should try Jesus. He's so awesome. And they're like, you're sick. Now, my son would drink this. <laughs> but he's one. So if you're taking notes after my son, you need some help. I want you to know 
when you ask someone, explain to me the gospel, and lots of pastors have done this and said, explain to me the gospel, and in Bible preaching churches like ours, oftentimes you'll get a whole flurry of different definitions that are Christ plus something. And this is part of it. Because separate from me the water from the dirt. You can't do it. And when we live not by the pure grace of God for our salvation, we muddy it. Now, this is the one that I think is more dangerous. Because there's just a little bit of dirt here. Just a tinge. Just a little bit that says, here's what it says. If I am a Christian, then the way I know that is by my works. Here's why it's so dangerous. Because you have the verse, you will know them by their fruits. That's in the Bible. It's right there. But what can happen is a person begins to look to their works only to prove their salvation. Instead of to Christ only. Why this is so dangerous is because you can still see the water. It's not nearly as bad. It's still pretty clear, but it's not completely clear. But what Scripture teaches us is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and we can trust the Word of God alone. And you can drink that. Three different opportunities. And Paul says, listen, it is the message of grace. Grace will teach you to deny ungodliness. Grace will teach you to glorify God. But never add to the grace of God. Here's the other thing about the gospel. Fourth, it is for everyone. It is for the whole world. I'm teaching a money class on Wednesdays. I invite you to it. It's at 6.30. Most of the principles that we are talking about, we're going to begin talking about saving. Most of the principles that we're talking about do not apply if you're in a third world country. The class would be basically useless to you. It's like save up a three to six month emergency fund. And they're like, oh, you mean life. <laughs> I don't have access to money. But you know, the gospel is the good news for everyone. Translate it in, into a different language, the gospel is still the gospel. It doesn't matter where you go, what you do, it doesn't matter your income status, it is for every single person. So the question is obviously, have you received it? Have you received the good news that Jesus Christ died for you and that he, he bore the weight of your sin and by faith in him you can be saved? Here's the fifth truth. It is active and productive. It is active and it is productive, which is really what gets us to our last point here. These are five incredible realities of every Christian. The fifth one is this. I am becoming like Jesus. Paul tells me, and this, this is one that I've struggled with and I've had to wrestle with, but Paul says, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's called the perseverance of the saints. That every single person who truly knows Jesus Christ as their Savior will grow to become more like Jesus. Some more quickly than others. And as you begin to look at trees, some trees grow really, really slowly, and some grow really, really fast. Both grow. 
I am becoming like Jesus. Watch this, what happens in verse 6 of Colossians chapter 1. It says, the gospel has come to you. It is indeed in the whole world. What is it doing in the whole world? It is bearing fruit, and it is increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He's made known to us your love in the Spirit. Love in the Spirit is a fruit of the Spirit. If you know Christ, you are becoming more like Christ because God is the one working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do His will. And that's the cool thing about this. All of this, every single one of these points circles and is completely taken up in who God is. You don't get to touch this because this is the work of Christ in the believer. And you don't get to say, oh, I want to rewrite this text. It's like, it's already written. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are chosen by God, your faith is secure, you are loved by others, you have received the gospel, and you are becoming like Jesus. And what an incredible, incredible truth for us to meditate on. And you know what else is so cool about this? That is true for every single believer you know. Which is why we can love all the believers. Because going back to my golf ball here, you know, imagine with me, you're on the inside, but you're just part of it. And you look around and you go, oh, you're in the sphere of Christ too. You're safe too. This is my brother in Christ. This is my sister in Christ. I now, oh, oh I mean a Christian, and I know they are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. I know their faith is secure. I know they are loved by others, and hopefully I'm one of them. I know they have received the gospel and that they're becoming like Jesus Christ. Those are some incredible realities. Write this down. When I get beyond grace, I get beyond growth. When I get beyond grace, I get beyond growth. And you're like, oh, that sounds cute. Who cares if it sounds cute, right? You've got to prove it from the Bible. Amen? Let's go. Let's prove it. Acts 20. I'll make you flip your fingers really fast here, and then we'll wrap it up. I'm starting to smell some food, too. We've talked about putting a warming pantry right there and it stays like this. And I'm like, <laughs> that might be a bad idea. Look at Acts chapter two, 20. Did I say 20? Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, this is page 930 in your Bible. Acts 20, verse 32. Paul, he's leaving these churches. He's discipled them. He's leaving Ephesus. He's discipled them carefully. And he says in verse 32, page 930, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. What is it that's building them up? The word of his grace, okay? So you get beyond grace, you get beyond growth. So Paul says, if you're going to grow, it needs takes grace. Let's keep going. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. If you have suffered as a Christian, you probably have this verse memorized forwards, backwards, up, down. It's highlighted in every single one of your Bibles. You've shared it with believer after believer, with unbeliever. You, you have it posted in your house probably. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. This is page 961 in your Bible. It's actually not the verse I was thinking about. <laughs> I was thinking about when he says, uh, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the grace of God is in me. But he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any, anyone. Any of them. I worked harder than them. But it wasn't I. But the grace of God that is within me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached, so you believed. I got more. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Just over a few more pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let me give you an illustration of this and encourage you to think about some questions. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is page 968 in your chair Bible. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. How are you going to abound in good works? By the grace of God. One more, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Here's the verse that I was talking about. Verse 8 says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, the thorn of the flesh, to he, should, that it should lead me. But he said for me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace is like the veins that keep the blood flowing through your body. You ever heard of a person who had a heart attack and they go in, they have a, what is it, echocardiogram? What's the thing that checks your heart? That's not right. I'm getting smiled at, so that means I'm not right. It's a what? Echo. Just an echo. That's easier. <laughs> they check your heart and they say, your heart has a this percent of blockage. I want you to think seriously about yourself. Is there a blockage of grace in your life? Is there a blockage of of, of grace because you, you've added to it. You've mixed and matched. Let us open that back up. Let us think about how it is the grace of God that is going to motivate me towards godliness. When I get beyond grace, I get beyond growth. Some application questions for you this week. These are things that Paul was grateful for. Will you practice gratefulness this week? Maybe it's just sending a text to someone this week saying, hey, I'm so grateful for you. I'm thankful for you in this way. Number two, what reality of being a Christian do you struggle most to believe? If you're anything like me, there are different ones. There's five different realities, and there's one probably that you struggle with. Why is that? Then think about this. Who is it that brought the gospel to you? And is there someone that God has laying on your heart to share the gospel with? Because we can share this with others. And then does the grace of God still amaze you? What happens when we forget the grace of God? Think through those things. Take those things home. And next week, we're going to look at something to pray about. What is something that we should pray about from this text? God, this is glory even beyond my understanding. This is truth on fire. And I ask that today you would mend or point out any aspects in our life where we are beginning to live by the law and, and sucking grace out of our lives. Cultivate this in us, God. Use your Holy Spirit to guide us, to walk in truth. And I, I pray most, mostly that you would also help us as a church to love other believers. I feel like we're really good and so easy for us to be good when a visitor comes through those doors to say, welcome, we're so glad to have you. May that not 
die or not be true of when we see other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. Sinners, oh yeah. People that we sometimes struggle with, you bet. But brothers and sisters in Christ who are secure in Him. God, even as we fellowship, maybe the fellowship of brothers, and Lord, maybe there's a soul here today who has not yet put their trust in You. Draw them to Yourself. Help them to see these, these are realities that they cannot guarantee on their own. They cannot guarantee that they'll be loved. They cannot guarantee that they'll be secure because there's nothing on earth that we have that is secure enough. They cannot guarantee that they have a home in heaven on their own works. They can guarantee that they can't. May they recognize that in Christ we have guarantees that are set aside, their hopes set aside for us, unfading in heaven. We love you, God. Be glorified today as we close this song in Jesus' name. Amen.